Amen, huh? Amen. No one. There's absolutely no one that's going to care for us like the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning that you are such a caring God. Thank you that you are one who knows us better than we know ourselves, and you are totally in control of our lives, and we bless you for that. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your wonderful word that you've given us. Thank you just for your very presence even here among us right now. We thank you for that marvelous truth that where two or three have gathered together in your name that you promised to be here among us. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray you'll just be pleased as we continue our time this morning together as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, we'll be looking at the life of Stephen. Just prior to that, though, when we were when uh, Dean was mentioning Father Nature's, it reminded me that uh, Adel was very gracious and took me out for breakfast. Uh, I think it was last month, and I thought he must have a pretty good relationship with these folks. As we left, I noticed we never got a bill, and I was wondering, you know, I guess there's an account that's just here. And then we got back here to the to the chapel, and he goes, "I forgot to pay." So, <laughs> so uh, the last time I saw him, I wondered if he was behind bars or what had happened. <laughs> But I think they released him. <laughs> We're going to be reading in just a few moments from Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. But I just wanted as a way of introduction to talk about um, a few inter- uh, introductory comments. But do you remember your high school graduation? Any of you remember your high school graduation? By the way, are there any here that are going to be graduating in the next couple of weeks? Any hands? Okay. Well, you remember, some of it was a long time ago, a long time ago. I had uh, here a yearbook from 1978 from when my wife and I both graduated uh, from the same high school. I was 78, she was 79, and we were looking through it over the last few days and just reading some of those comments. I don't know if they still do that today where people write in comments, hope you have a great summer, nice knowing you, see you next year, you know, it's always those kind of lines, but... June, of course, the month that we're now in, believe it or not, is the month for high school graduations. Our daughter, Laura, will be graduating in a week from this coming Thursday. That'll be our third out of four. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when you attend these, if you can remember back when you were at yours or if you've recently attended someone for a friend or a family member, you think of all those commencement speeches that are given. You know, there's varying degrees of wisdom that are given there, aren't there? I've often found it quite uh, thought-provoking to hear the addresses and to watch all of the seniors, the senior class, marching forward for their diploma. And I don't know about you, but I think about this, and I, I often think, I wonder what will happen to their lives. I wonder if their dreams will be realized, whatever they might be. I often think, you know, what kind of impact will they have? Will they live good, good lives, setting a good example. And, of course, some will and some don't. And what I love about the Word of God, just one thing I love about the Word of God is how Scripture tells us about real people, real people who lived, and we can learn so much from them as to how they lived their lives, often wanting to imitate the good, 
And sometimes saying, you know what? I don't want to do this. God has this here and has showed me that this would be a mistake. This would be a bad way to go. And this is really important, isn't it, how we live our lives. Sometimes we, we, we kind of forget that, that there are a bunch of eyeballs that are watching. There's a lot of eyeballs here tonight, or this, this today, still morning, that are watching. They watch what we do outside of here, your friends, your family members, those you work with, those you go to school with. They're watching. Paul said of the Thessalonians, a group of believers, and it was a wonderful compliment. He said that of you, he said, you have been a model to all the believers by the way that they had lived their lives. And he said that you became imitators of us and of the Lord. When you think of that word imitator, it simply means to mimic or to act. And they were good imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way they were living their lives. Have you ever found yourself imitating somebody? Somebody that's close to you. You even imitate their actions. Sometimes you even imitate the way they speak and their enunciation. There's a couple of people that call at work and they're regular callers. I almost have their voices down to a T. And after I hang up with them, I kind of imitate and they know exactly who I'm talking about. It's some of our sick dispatcher humor that we have to kind of release the stress. I remember back in the late 70s when I started attending Fairhaven, I started to dress because I was imitating a man that I really respected. And before I knew it or not, I was wearing the same kind of plaid pants that he had on. And I had on these same kind of shoes. And my wife, at the time she was my girlfriend, she brought it up to my attention. And she goes, you know, you're dressing just like him. But she said, the only problem is he's about 25 years older than you. And I said, I know, but I just kind of like this guy. I like the way everything about him. And so I even started to wear the type of clothing he had. I thought about the verse of Scripture where it's important that we clothe ourselves with Christ. That we put on the kind of clothing that brings honor to him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, one, just on this same theme, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's a great motto. That's a great truth. It was popular a few years ago, but people were wearing the bracelet or maybe they had the necklace on WWJD. And really, it was a pretty good idea in its concept because it was trying to keep us to focus and remember, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? If he were faced into this situation that I'm in right now, what would he do? And that's very important for us to remember. What kind of impression are we making? Last Monday, of course, Memorial Day is a day where we remember. And I don't know, I think it was the most recent Daily Bread that I was reading, or it was one previous that brought up the idea that if it came to it and people were to say that what they're remembering about us in a memorial, what would they remember? What would they say? We think about the memorial feast that we even had this morning and that believers have when we break bread. We think about all the wonderful things when Jesus said, remember me, that comes to our mind. Remember his pain and suffering at the cross for us. And when we think of the Lord Jesus, we can only think of wonderful and good things being God. Never anything wrong with him. But what would people say of ourselves? Well, that is a long introduction, but that brings us into the subject of the person of Stephen. He is one person in the Bible who totally, totally impresses me as a human being for the way he lived. 
Let's pick it up the story. We're going to kind of move around a little bit in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. There's a lot in chapter 7 we won't read. We don't have time. It's wonderful reading, though, if you have a chance this afternoon or sometime this week. But it just says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, verse 1, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And they went on to choose these other names, Philip, and I won't even try and pronounce a couple of others. I haven't practiced well enough. But they're the group of the seven. And verse 6 says, And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Stephen was one of the seven. If you like, he was often been thought of as one of the first deacons in the church. And he was responsible to supervising this food distribution. The devil saw that there could be a potential problem here, some conflict from within over this issue of food. Things were getting big. The church was growing. And so if he could cause a division, he tried to cause it within the church. And wisely, the apostles saw this uh, labor of how they could divide up this task so that they can continue on in prayer and ministering the word of God. And they chose Stephen among these other men. And he was faithful. He was faithful in this small but incredibly, as we know when we think about food, how important task that is for the widows and for all to be taken care of. And I don't know if it was simply this alone, but because Stephen was faithful in this small task, as important as it was, God's going to graduate him on to other assignments as we're going to see. And we're going to see that just as continue to read in chapter 6, beginning again now in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from, uh, from what they called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some of the Cilicia and Eurasia, rose up and argued with Stephen. I love this. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly introduced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against his holy place, against this holy place and the law. For we have heard from him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. You look at Stephen and you just point out here, if you were to kind of just go through it and you see what the text says as to what were some of the spiritual qualities in this man. What were some of the marks of maturity? Verse 5, we see that he was a man who was full of faith. Full of the Spirit. The text says he was full of grace. He was full of power. 
wonderful qualities, isn't it? It doesn't say that he, he possessed some of these. He was full of it. Faith, the Spirit, grace, and power. There's a song that I'm familiar with. It's one of the more modern-day choruses. But the singer says, I'm not satisfied living in yesterday's hour. I'm not satisfied to have the form, but not the power. I'm not satisfied to have the form, but not the power. Paul said to the Thessalonians in chapter 1 of First Thessalonians, he said, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Stephen was exactly like that kind of a man. When you think of that word that's in First Thessalonians chapter 1, full conviction, it's been said that it suggests a cup so full to the very brim that it's overflowing. And so this whole idea is, is that when people bump into you and I, like what Dean was in, saying really in the opening remarks after the hymn, when people are bumping into you and I, they're being, the Spirit of God is so full in us that it's spilling over, that they're seeing something of the Lord Jesus Christ by their very interaction with us as they interface with us and they have contact with us. And as we speak to them and as we minister words to them and even by our very actions, they're seeing something of the Lord Jesus Christ in us because the Spirit of God is so full in our lives. We're filled with the Spirit. If you like, we're filled to the brim. The very presence of the Lord Jesus is in you and I. Not a wonderful thing if somebody was to come up to you and say, you know what, I'm so refreshed a believer, or somebody who does not know Christ who says, you know, I'm just so kind of refreshed and my spirit is so uh, strengthened when I'm with you. There's something of of Jesus that I see in you and the way that you handled that situation, the way that you behaved when you were provoked there, and the way that you were tempted, you didn't give in. It says in verse 15, the last verse of chapter 6, and I love this, they were fixing their gaze on him after um, accusing him of his false charges. And it said, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. What does that suggest to you? When I think of that, it suggests to me this whole idea of brightness. There was a glow. There's a chorus that says, as we gaze on your kingly brightness, so our faces Display your likeness. Bill McDonald says it well when he brings out this idea. He says that, you know, this is an amazing thing, this face like an angel. It's like this mysterious beauty of a life that is fully surrendered to the Lord. Determined to proclaim the truth and more concerned with what God thinks than with what men may say. Remember when Moses came down off the mountain after being with God, his face was so bright that he had to wear a veil. Then in the very presence of God, people couldn't even look. One of the ideas is when we meet with the Lord and we're reading his word and we're praying to him and we're spending that time with him daily, that when we leave his presence, that our faces ought to be shining in some way, shape or form because we've been with God. We've been feeding on his word. You might be looking at this and say, well, it looks like somebody's been feeding on something else. And I just got this Bible and my dog was at it last week. I was glad he didn't actually eat the pages of the word, but he had the right idea. He was feeding on the scriptures, but I, he got spanked for this. It was a nice cover 
Thankfully, he didn't chew on any of the pages. Feeding on the scriptures, getting fed, being in the very presence of the Lord. The quiet time, the time with the Lord was never meant just to be an exercise of duty. It's the idea that you're meeting with someone, and when you're meeting with God, who desires to meet with us, we walk away refreshed, we walk away changed, because we've been with him. Something else I love about Stephen, and you're going to really see it in chapter 7, is that he was a man who was full of boldness. He had a knowledge of the word of God, and he was absolutely determined to share it. Boldness. When we lived in Ireland, the word bold was an expression that meant don't be so bold. Maybe you use it even, we use it here in the States. I sometimes forget what words we use here in America as opposed to what we used in Ireland. But it was a word that meant don't be cheeky. Don't be bold. In other words, don't be a bad. Don't be naughty is what we'd say to our girls. Don't be bold. Well, obviously in the context here of Scripture and how we use this word in, in American, when we say he was filled with boldness, it's a wonderful quality. In other words, if you think about it, the opposite is fear. And we are fearful people at times, aren't we? Heard the story of about from a congressman, I believe. It, the story was told about a voice that suddenly came over the intercom. We are now flying at 35,000 feet. You'll notice out the right window that two engines on the right wing are on fire. And on the engines on the left had to be stopped. If you look directly below, you'll see a small yellow spot in the ocean with six small spots within the yellow. The yellow spot is the emergency life raft. And the six small spots within are the pilot, co-pilot, flight engineer, navigator, and the two flight attendants. This is a recording. (laughs) Would you be afraid in that situation? (laughs) Say, yes, I would. God says 63 times, fear not. 48 times in the word, do not be afraid. 14 times, be not dismayed. It's difficult, particularly for grown men, to admit that there are times that they're fearful. They don't possess the boldness. They're not filled with the spirit. They're not as in the sense, so bold that they want to whomever the Holy Spirit has laid upon them to want to share the good news about Jesus Christ because he's such good news. We're fearful. The scriptures address at times that the danger, the problem is, is that we at times want to be man-pleasers. And certainly this isn't just limited to men, but to ladies as well. But the issue of fear is difficult. Jesus told the disciples in Luke chapter 12, He said, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. It's very interesting that Jesus sets the giving of the kingdom that they would possess and that they would be part of in the millennial reign when he would come back for 1,000 years. But it's interesting that he puts the context of this responsibility and privilege of the kingdom in the context of fear. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You think about fear and you think, you know what, that's a good motivation at times. Sometimes it's a good motivation. I'm not going to do that. 
I fear doing that situation, driving there without my seatbelt on or going 100 miles an hour. I fear doing that and disobeying the law because what could happen? So therefore, I'm going to obey the law. I respect it. Then, of course, there's the kind of fear where we're just consumed in it. It's got a grip on us. And it isn't boldness. It's not peace. It's not rest. It's fear. Jesus knew that fear can cause people who know God to live as though they didn't know him. Sometimes it causes us to behave in ways. Remember where Peter, how he betrayed the Lord. Of all people, a little girl. A little girl says, weren't you one? As he was at that campfire. And he denied the Lord to a little girl. It wasn't just to some burly big soldier that he denied the Lord to. It was to another innocent little girl. Jesus tells us not to be afraid in Luke chapter 12 because he says to the disciples, and it's true to us by extension, that he has something, that he has a promise, that there's something coming that uproots fear. It uproots it. And that is that he's going to give us the kingdom. Remember the words he says to Peter, you are Peter and upon this rock himself, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Someone has said having the keys of the kingdom of God in the hands of the church stretches us to live in Christ's power and up to his expectations. He tells us, doesn't he, in Matthew 28, that all authority has been given. He tells us to go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he promises to be with us, but he says, I've given you this authority. And it should replace fear because I'm going to be present with you. What a huge, huge responsibility. And I will also say huge, huge privilege it is to have this responsibility. You look at you and I, and I look at myself, and I say, in and of ourselves, you know, we're a pretty sad, sorry lot, as we would say over in Europe. And yet, a man or a woman that's filled with the Spirit of God, who has that kind of holy boldness and power and zeal and love for Christ, can make and move mountains, can see societies, can see situations change. I've seen in our own radio room where at times it has been like a dark cloud at times is hovering right over our room. And the negativity and some of the stuff that's said just happens. And yet, I've seen where there's believers present in the room and it lifts. Conversations that could go a certain way, godly believers have a way and they know what's right and they won't let it go there. They stop it. And there's salt and there's light in that very situation of where they are. And that's what the challenge is for you and us, you and I here today. It's not something we can muster in our own strength. That's why one of the reasons why we simply go to God each day for strength, for new insight is, what is it, Lord, you want me to do? How do you want me to behave today? The amazing thing about this boldness that Stephen had, and he was like us in this sense, that he was just an average person in one way. He was a sinner, but he was energized by a strange, if you like, and curious courage 
that was completely beyond himself to behave the way that he did and to tackle something that in and of his own strength and how you and I would behave would naturally dwarf us and intimidate us. Verse 1 of chapter 7. Stephen's in a situation and the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. And then he goes on to say, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And he goes on to give this most amazing discourse. It was one of the most powerful messages, I think, that you're going to read in the New Testament. It's a long section in chapter 7. He gives a summary to the Jews' own history. Kind of starts off quiet. Kind of starts off peaceful. He's wise, as the scriptures already tells us in his wisdom. He doesn't immediately go out and confront them. He begins to give them a little bit of a history lesson. Their ears are being tuned in to listen to what he's saying. Then he goes on to take, make reference to Moses and the other leaders, uh, Joseph in the Bible, and how they'd been their leaders, and yet how these two men were like, if you like, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and how they were deliverers. But the Israelites, the leaders, they rejected them. Then he goes on to say something that absolutely stung them. It's in chapter 7, and we'll start it off with verse 51 after he's been going through this message and saying basically how this is how you behaved. God sent you these people, these amazing godly people, but you rejected them. Then he says in 51, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and did yet and yet did not keep it. What was their reaction to that in verse 54? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Stephen was incredibly bold. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do in that situation and to utter those words that he uttered. He stepped out. See, God doesn't want us to be undercover cops. You know, I think of a number that uh, I work with who are in that wonderful assignment of being an undercover cop. They are so undercover that some of them I can't, I wouldn't, wouldn't believe for a moment that they're even with our organization. They've got the hair, they've got the style, they've got the clothing, they've got some of the mannerisms. They are totally undercover. Why? Because as an undercover cop, they want to blend in with the people they're around. They don't want to be noticed. They want to be completely undetected as being somebody who carries a badge. God doesn't want us to be uh, undercover Christians who, in a sense, are wanting to not be detected Nobody would know that we know the Lord Jesus. I remember a number of years ago, I was speaking in a church in Pleasanton, and I was asked to show some slides when we were missionaries in Ireland. It was a large church of probably a couple thousand people. And the interesting thing was, is I went by the name Stephen, and they introduced me as Stephen because 
When we lived in Europe for the 11 years, the word Randy was a derogatory word. So the thought was, you can't keep your name Randy. So let's call you by another name. What's your middle name? And I said, well, my middle name is Stephen. So I went by Stephen. The word Randy meant um, promiscuous. And that's about as much as I'm going to say. But it meant promiscuous and more. So it was obviously a word that I wasn't going to keep. A couple that lived here in America for one year knew me by my name, Randy, and my wife, Cindy, and we moved back to Ireland. And it was as hard for them to remember now to have to call me Stephen, as well as for Cindy. And so we practiced and we practiced, and the first couple that knocked on the door in that day in Port Marnock, Dublin, Ireland, I remember back in 1984 when they said, and the lady answered and introduced us, and she says, this is Steve and his wife, Randy. And so... (laughs) There was a lot of practice with this. There, were, there was a lot of practice. But this particular occasion in Pleasanton, they introduced me as Steve. And I came up and I spoke for about 10 minutes or 15. And I went back to work the next day. I was working part-time at the police department then. And this particular uh, motor sergeant drives a motor unit said, I saw, your, uh, I saw your brother yesterday. And I said, I said um, yeah. And he said, yeah, he was, uh, he was at church. And I go, uh, actually, it was a couple of days after he said that because I go, no, I, I go, I don't, I don't have a brother. I wasn't, guy wasn't switched on either. Actually, what he was talking about, and he goes, yeah, his, his name is Steve, and he looks exactly like you. Yeah. Exactly, and I said, you know what? I said that was me, and and then it took a long time to explain why my name was now Randy back in at the police department, but I was identifying myself as Steve to him. The interesting thing of why I say that is, is that because he attended church, and that was, like I said, probably now we're going on about 15 years, getting close to it. I don't believe anybody where I work knows that he's a believer. It's never come up since. The subject has never been raised. People who I know who are believers, when I say that this son and this brother where this man attends this church and told me a few things, everybody's surprised. Yeah. Nobody knows. They go, I didn't know. The other, the other men who are Christians say, I didn't know. It's never come up. I wonder in one sense, and I can understand, I've been there in a number of situations, is he kind of functioning as an undercover believer in some way, shape, or form? This cost Stephen, didn't it? It says that when they heard what he said and how he had spoken the truth, he reviewed the Jewish history. He concentrated on Joseph and Moses, who were raised up by God and yet rejected. Very picture and similar situation for the Lord Jesus Christ and how they treated him. They went on the attack. It says in verse 55, But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven, And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they covered their ears and they rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Notice that. And they went on stoning Stephen 
And he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Which, of course, in the scriptures means that he died physically, but his soul went up to be with the Lord. How amazing, isn't it? How similar what he said in his last words to what the Lord Jesus said, huh? On the cross. As we investigate this man, Stephen, as we've been looking at his life, I think the conclusion that we come to is it's a man, because he was like the Lord Jesus in his character, he's someone we want to imitate. I want to ask you today to have God show you some character, something in your life, something maybe of the very qualities that the Scriptures tell us Stephen possessed. Ask him, does this need to be built? Does this need to be strengthened in my life? Do I need a holy boldness that comes from you being filled with the Spirit? Do I need to grow in wisdom and courage filled with your Spirit? Ask God to give you a plan to help you to know exactly what it is that you need to do, what I need to do to conform my life to be more into the image of the Lord Jesus. Our lives don't go unnoticed by God. A lot of what goes on in life, maybe a number of people will never know, but they're all seeing eyes and ears of God. He's watching. And you know what? When we honor Him, when we please Him, when we do what's right, then He is going to welcome and He is going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He said to the disciples, He says, He who honors me, I will honor When I read the occasion here in Acts chapter 6 and 7, no doubt about it, the first martyr of the church, Stephen, a very good man, was put to death that day. By all appearance, if we didn't know anything else of the story, we would say, wow, that was a defeat. That was a huge defeat for that small band of followers that were with him. But if we know anything about the Lord, don't we? We know this, that what often appears as a defeat at the time, God uses in his most marvelous way to turn it into a success eventually. Problem is, and we sometimes just see it as a defeat now. And you know what? The devil and his strategy and the tactics that he has, if you're defeated here today, he wants to keep you defeated. He wants to keep you in that situation where you say, you know what, I I am that coward. I am like that person in the Wizard of Oz, you know, afraid of my own tail. Well, acknowledge it and ask him to change you. Ask him to strengthen you and to see the glad he gets the glory because you're just like I, an earthen vessel that really in and of ourselves is absolutely nothing. But what he can do. Apparent setbacks, it has been said, often result in advances for the cause of Christ. Because you see, we heard his name at the very end here of chapter 7 where it said that Saul saw this. Saul was there, also known as the Apostle Paul. And notice verse 8, or sorry, verse 1 of chapter 8. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. At that time, Saul didn't know it then, But his days were numbered for how long he would continue to persecute the church. And then a short time later, he was now going to become 
one of these very followers of Christ. Saul was watching. He was watching. And don't you think, he was watching the character of that man and he was watching Stephen and he was watching how he's behaving, how he was saying, God, don't hold this sin against them. You know, he didn't lose it when he was under pressure. He was gracious even to the very end of his life on earth. And that made a huge impact and transformed him and must have convicted him. And that's the exciting thing. We never know. We absolutely never know what impact we're having at times with those around us. We only sometimes are seeing it too short term. Think, for example, just as getting wrapping up to close, think, for example, of Jim Elliott. You think of the story of Jim Elliott in Ecuador. And you think of, you know, that whole situation of how they were attacked by the Indians and killed and how even to this day, 2006, people still remember his name and they start to remember the cause and they were, are impressed by his courage and for what he was doing for the cause of Christ. You think of that girl, Cassie Bernal, Columbine. Started with high school in the introduction. And you think about this girl who, from everything I understand, really was nothing in the sense as far as any kind of popularity. She really was an alienated student prior to a conversion to Christ. And when, if, as I understand it, she was asked if she believed in God. And she said yes, with the barrel pointed at her. And she had a bullet put in her head after that. Think how many people in this country... And all throughout the world heard about that particular account in that situation of one of the students who was killed because of that profession that happened and where she admitted that she knew the Lord Jesus. I don't know exactly how it was. We weren't there. Could have theoretically said, no, I don't believe in Christ. No, I don't know him if it meant not having that bullet pulled. She didn't do that. Her faith in that response on that day turned her into a person now that's remembered where maybe in that alienation, it was absolute obscurity. We would have ever, never known her. Think about uh, when I was looking at this yearbook, Cindy was going through and we were reading some of these comments. And um, there's one very interesting one as I was flipping through this week. There was a particular fellow that she liked for six years. So I won't hold that against him. (laughs) But it was from elementary school. But he... He said, you know, I know I didn't come to too many of the Bible studies. In actuality, she said to me, he actually didn't come to any. But he said, but I think you know my situation. And I said to her, well, what was he talking about? What was the situation that he confided in when he was back in high school? She said he was afraid to identify himself as a Christian. He was a popular kid. And he didn't want to be identified as one of those believers that would go to a Bible study club once a week. You know what, though? The interesting thing is, today, he's pastoring a church of 200 people. God raised him from a situation where at one time he was ashamed. And now he's a pastor of a church here in the States. So whatever that defeat is that you have now, don't let that hold you down because God can turn you around to be one And this is my prayer for myself. Nine fingers, ten fingers, frankly, are pointed right here. That I'll be one who has love and zeal for him, regardless of the consequences. And that the Lord Jesus Christ will be a wonderful aroma that will just totally illuminate from my very presence. From my skin will come his very beauty. And that others will be wanting to know more about this God and come to know him. Be saved by his marvelous grace because of his shed blood on the cross. May God help us this week. This week, we can only live one day at a time, but this very coming week to live lives 
that bring him honor and glory. Let's pray. Lord, I think of the song I just heard this morning where the words were, What do you live for? Is it a reason to stand for? Father, I pray that you will give us just a reminder by your very word, by your servant Stephen today, that, Lord, the most important way to live is to live for you. We don't know, Lord, if we're ever going to be called to die for you like Stephen was But, Lord, we know that you are asking, you are commanding, you are wanting us to live for you. I pray today in the power of your spirit that you will fill us, that this week as we spend time with you, we will be those men and women who will reflect something of the Lord Jesus Christ to those around us. We pray, Lord, that you will give us ears to hear and we'll be tuned in with your spirit as there's opportunities to be bold and to say a word for you or to share a verse of scripture or whatever it is, Lord, the way that you want us to be a witness, we pray this coming week we'll be obedient to you. Lord, in a way we confess we don't fully understand this because we can't in one way understand why we're fearful at times. We know that you're the best person, the best thing that could ever happen in anyone's life is to have a relationship with you. And we just pray that we'll have that kind of courage to better than even the cure for cancer is knowing you, knowing forgiveness of sins. We thank you that you're a risen God today, that we have this wonderful relationship with you, and we just thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.